0: Uh, we are continuing in our Love Redeemed series this morning, and we will be finishing up our time in 1 Corinthians 13. So we've, this is our third week in 1 Corinthians 13. We've taken this chapter and broken it up into uh, three weeks, but we, we are continuing in our, our Love Redeemed uh, series and have a few more weeks in that. And as we begin, I want to share with you, uh, as a high school student, I was a two-sport athlete. And by that, I mean, if you were to look in the yearbook, in the time that I was in high school, you would see my picture and my name listed for two different athletic teams. I was by no means a standout two-sport athlete. I was not an outstanding two-sport athlete. I just happened to uh, participate in two sports that were held at Grimsley High School in Greensboro. One of them was soccer, which I enjoyed thoroughly. The other was track, which I hated with a passion. And, And yet I did it because it was something active to do in the season that wasn't uh, soccer season. It, it also, you know, didn't hurt that my my uh, AP English teacher happened to be the distance coach for, uh, well, he's the cross-country coach, but he was also the distance coach for the track team. And he was like, Collins, you, you, you're, you need to run like we need you. You need to run. I need some more guys for the mile and two mile. And I began to worry that maybe my grade would be adversely affected if I, if, I if I didn't say yes to him. So I said yes and, and ended up running uh, track uh, for at least two of the four years that I was there. Now, because I didn't have this deep love for it, I didn't really take it seriously. Uh, and my coach knew that, and it drove him absolutely crazy. But somewhere, as the season went on, and we, you know, we would have practice after practice after practice, which, you know, as a runner, it means you just run and run and run. And uh, I, I, there's something began to, to change in me, and I thought, well, I mean, what would happen if I tried, right? Like, if I, if I gave some effort toward this. And so I began to give some effort, and, and, you know, approaching one of our last meets of the season, I felt like, all right, I, I think I've put in some work. Like, I, I feel like maybe, maybe I don't just phone this one in, and, and I'll, I'll try it and, and, like, give it some real effort and see what happens. And, and so I really kind of had my sights set on the two-mile, uh, which, uh, which is eight laps around um, a track, which is an eternity. It's an infinite number of times to run around a black pavement oval, um, but I felt like that was, the, that, that was what I, I, I felt like I had a shot, and so, so I kind of used the mile as my warm-up and really had the sight set on the two-mile, and so I started, and I, I started put myself in the middle of the pack, which was rare. Usually, I was the back of the pack, like watching these people, and, you know, usually the leaders would lap me at some point over the course of the eight laps, and, but I thought, you know, not today. Uh, today is the day that I that I really push myself. And so I, I start in the middle of the pack, and obviously, you know, those jokers that were at the front of the pack, there's no hope. I wasn't going to, I mean, they're not even human. Like, I'm not going to catch those guys. And so, so all right, if I can just hang with the middle of the pack, then then maybe I can push. And, it, it, you know, so I'm, I'm starting to come around, and I realize I'm coming to the end of this race, and I'm feeling like I've still got some left in the tank. Like, I'm going to show coach not only that I, like, today's PR day, but I'm, I've also got a kick, Right? which I don't think you can have in a two mile. But anyway, I, I was like, I got, you know, I'm, I'm gearing up for the kick. I come around the stretch and I give it all I got. And I crossed the finish line and I might've raised my arms even though I was nowhere near like the top 10 runners, but I might've just a <laughs> slight like victory pump, raised my arms and then stepped into the infield and my coach looks at me and he says, it, is that all? And I'm thinking, what do you mean is that all? Like I'm about to die here. Like that's, that's my best race ever. And, and I realized two things that day. One is that I, I'm not a runner, or I wasn't a runner at that age. And two, I'm not a mathematician. I don't know how to count. Because I came across the finish line having done seven laps, not eight. <laughs> and so he's looking at me and thinking, you're, like, you're just done? That's it? And he, <laughs> so I just, you know, nodded. And he writes something on his clipboard, which was probably like DNF, like did not finish, or DQ, disqualified. And and all my hopes and dreams of ever, you know, succeeding at track, that was it. They, They crashed that day, and I think my coach just tolerated me for the rest of the season after that. I came up short. I didn't. I didn't finish the race. It was incomplete. What I thought was the finish line was a finish line I had established for myself somewhere over the course of those seven laps. It wasn't the finish line that everybody else was running for. Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, particularly in this chapter in the passage that we're going to read this morning, is, is saying, you, you've, you've created a finish line for yourself, and it's not, it's not the finish. There's still more race to run, and yet you've stopped short. You've you've come up short. Now, as we read a passage like this, and any time we read a a passage in Scripture, we we have to remember, and we're brought face-to-face with the fact that this is written in a specific time for a specific people for a specific purpose. But because God being who God is, and and God all things being equal, uh, God existing outside of the way that time works for us, While this was written to a specific church at a specific time for a specific purpose, there are things that we can learn in in opening Scripture and reading a letter like this today. So while we might, as a church, not be dealing with the same issues that the church in Corinth was dealing with, there are things that we can hear in Paul's challenge here and telling them, hey, you've come up short. What you thought or what you think is the finish line is not the finish line. you've, You've focused in the wrong direction I think those are words for us to hear today, uh, any of us who consider ourselves followers of Christ, or, or even if you are a person in here this morning and you're like, I'm not really sure where I am with Jesus. Like, I, I kind of like the Jesus thing. I'm not really sure about the church. Hey, that's fine. People who are Christians aren't really sure about the church most of the time um, because the church is made up of people, and, and we take what something, uh, something that God intended for good and intended for power in this world, and, and we're pretty good at making a mess of it. Um, So if you're in that place, know that you're in good company. Um, But also, if you are in that place, know that maybe the finish line for your life, you might not even be close because God has something else for you. Uh, So maybe what you hear this morning is an invitation to more. But let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll begin with verse 8. If you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word, please stand with me. Picking up where we left off last week, Paul continues, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I I would invite you to go back. Uh, Ed opened this passage uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I had the opportunity to preach on that, that middle section, love is patient, love is kind, which we often hear at, uh, at weddings, um, and I would invite you to go back, if you, if you, if you weren't here, to, to listen to those two weeks, or just go back this week and read that entire chapter, because it really, um, the context is, is important. It's also uh, important, just as a refresher, to remember that Paul planted this church in Corinth. This was part of his, his missionary um, journeys. You know, Paul answered a, a, a call that he could not ignore, ignore to be a champion of the gospel of Jesus after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul, who was on his way to continue to persecute the church, was met by Jesus in a dramatic fashion and, and, was, and was told by Jesus, now I, I, want to, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I don't want you to work against me anymore. I want to invite you to be a part of it. Jesus could have absolutely just struck Paul down, you know, just snuffed him out, been done with that that little, you know, movement against the church, but instead, he wanted to take and and to redeem Paul's passion, Paul's zeal, Paul's fervor, everything in Paul that made him think that this is the most important thing that he can do is to give his life to the persecution of the church. Jesus was able to take that and redeem it and move it in a direction that was for the kingdom and for the gospel. Right, so I mean, for any of us who would discount someone because of, of a tendency they have or because of a personality that they have, there's something about the way that God has wired each and every one of us that in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of the, the, the Holy Spirit's ability to take us and to mold us and to move us in the direction of the kingdom, there's something about you that God is able to use for His glory and for the advancement of His kingdom and for the growth of the church. like if you hear I mean, I hear a lot of things this morning, but but I, I just think that too often we disqualify ourselves, and and yet we see in Paul, there's great evidence for the fact that not only God can God use anyone, but God is God is willing to. So Paul, in his missionary journey, journeys, plants this church, and then some people begin to write with him after he had spent he had spent a great deal of time there, and then he moves on because he's needed somewhere else, and he leaves leadership in place, and he. Um, you know, he's, he leaves them and, hey, this is what it looks like to be the church. And somewhere along the way, they forget that. We, we, we have a tendency to do that. We forget what it means to be the church. We forget what it means to be a follower of Christ because we allow culture to come in and begin to inform for us what it means to be a Jesus follower or what the church should look like. Culture, and, and I would just venture to say the enemy is having a heyday right now with the church we are confused. We've lost sight of the, the the thing that's most important. Right? And so that began to happen here in, in Corinth. And and people are reaching out to Paul, they're writing letters, and it's, you know, I mean, today we might call that tattling, right? Wait till mom gets home, wait till dad gets home, or you call, or you text. Like, you know, I, I don't I don't know if this happens in your house, but like there's fighting going on and and I mean, when our kids were much younger, like, Piper would call me, and she wouldn't really, she wouldn't say anything. She would just allow me to hear what's happening in the house, and then she would hang up. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> this is, like, I was afraid to go home. I think maybe she was trying to, like, maybe my kids would be afraid for me. I, I was afraid to go home. <laughs> People are reaching out to Paul and saying, hey, here's what's happening in the house, right? Here's what's happening in, in the church. Like, this has gotten out of hand. And and what's happening in particular in in Corinth is that pride has begun to creep in. That's not something any of us deal with, right? Pride has begun to creep in. People are are you know bragging about who it is that they follow, who it is that, that led them to knowledge of Jesus, or who it is that taught them, or uh, or, or you know in, in particular the the thing that they are, are really um, have fallen prey to is is the utilization of, of spiritual gifts. Now, the church in Corinth, has they, they lack nothing when it comes to that. Let me read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about, uh, about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Like, this is, this is a church where, where the, the spiritual gifts are, are present in abundance, particularly the gifts of tongue, particularly the gifts of, of prophecy, the gift of wisdom and knowledge. Like, they, they don't lack anything when it comes to spiritual gifts. And, and in fact, Paul's like, hey, this is like it serves as part of your testimony the way that God has been faithful through the Holy Spirit to pour out these gifts. But what has begun to happen is that, that the church has started to play with these, these gifts like they're little toys. Oh, you have, you have the gift of knowledge? That's cute. I have the gift of tongues. Like I can speak in languages that, that's like the language of angels. Oh, you have the gift of tongues? That's nice. I have the gift of prophecy. I can tell you what God is up to and what God is going to do in the future. And so they began to play with these like they were, like they were little toys and, and began to treat the gifts like the gifts were the end themselves, right? Any time that God gives a gift, any, any, of, any one of us, anyone in the church, any time a church possesses a gift of the Spirit, the gift is only ever meant for the edification and the building of the church. It's not meant for the individual, it's not meant to serve that individual in a way that places that individual on a pedestal and higher than anyone else. If anything, the presence of a gift should keep us in a place where we are humble because we realize that any ability that is supernatural, any ability that we have is not our own. It only comes from God. And so Paul is, is dealing with that here, particularly in, in chapter 13. And now, now, this is what he hasn't done is like... Hard teaching in chapter 12, hard teaching in chapter 14. So, chapter 13, let me, let me, there there was, you know, this message on love that I preached somewhere. Let me go back in the files and look for it and drop it in this letter because it's going to make them feel a little better about themselves and maybe this won't sting as much. That's not what Paul is doing. If anything, as we said last week, to read chapter 13 and to use it both as the lens through which we see the heart of God and as the mirror through which we view ourselves, it's like walking through a minefield. Just show of hands, how many of you last week practiced what I encourage you to do, to read uh, this, this middle section, this middle paragraph, as it might be written in your Bible, that begins, love is patient, love is kind. How many of you um, took the opportunity to read that and to, to place I in there? Five of you, that's good. <clears throat> Six of you, thank you, Justin. Um, I, I would invite you to do that. I am patient. I am kind, I do not envy, I do not boast. It's one of the ways that we uh, allow God the space to use Scripture to, to challenge us, to refine us. Right? And then we, we we're invited to remember that Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. Any, any way that we fall short, Jesus is there to, to meet us in that. So, so Paul continues, love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. He's essentially saying to them, this, this church who, who views the, the gifts as evidence of perfection, like we have arrived, like this little slice of heaven has, has come to this, this ecclesia, the, these people, this church, those who are set apart in Corinth, like heaven is here, perfection is now. We have arrived, we have made it because we have the evidence of these gifts. And and Paul is saying, No, that's you've created a finish line that's not the finish line. The gifts are not the goal. The gifts are for the the continued building of the church and for the continued sharing of the gospel, the good news. And yet you've taken them and, and you wear them like they are badges, and you are in competition with one another to see who has the better gifts. You're treating them like toys, who has the best toy. But he says, these things that you place at such a premium, these things that you place such a high priority on being on display in the church, at some point, and that point is that when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom here forever, at some point, the gift of prophecy will no longer be necessary. We don't need to be be thinking about or wondering about or looking to the future about what God is doing because all will be revealed. Those who prophesy, those who are able to point to the work of God in the world, the work of God will be present and will be clear. Those of you who claim to have knowledge, Paul is saying, you place such a premium on the knowledge, the secret knowledge of God. Guess what? The knowledge of God will be revealed to everyone when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. The gift of tongues... We're all going to be singing one song, and it's the song of worship to Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is seated on the throne. The only one who is worthy to open the scroll, as John writes in Revelation. So the secret language that you claim to possess and that you use to, to lift yourself up rather than for the building and edification of the church, there's not going to be a need for that anymore. Now, remember, this was written to a specific people at a specific time. So I think if we're going to use this as a mirror, we have to ask ourselves, God, maybe for me it's not a spiritual gift, maybe for us, like that's not the issue, as, the, as, as this church, as this community of believers, that's, maybe that's not the issue, but what is it in your life that you have placed such an emphasis on and made the pursuit of that thing the goal and created for yourself a finish line that when you finally reach that thing, you've made it. And I think there are a number of things like that for us that the world offers us. But to to push a little bit further, what is that thing spiritually? Is it is it just making sure you check the quiet time box every day? You know, you've 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 done your thirty days, now it's a habit. Which I don't know if it's true anymore. But now, now that you have it, you've, you've arrived, you can check that box. Or you attend worship. You were maybe a two-time-a-month attender. You've upped it to three. And, and so now, now you're, you've arrived. Now you're there. Or, or maybe, maybe God has given you the gift of, of wisdom. Maybe there's something about you're just able to open God's Word and it just comes to life. It just seems to make sense to you. But what's the end of that? What's, what's the goal? What is that for? There's a man that, that I knew who would wake up at 4 o'clock every morning. And I think that's still night. Like he would, in the middle of the night, he would wake up. And he would do so so that he could spend minimum two hours reading Scripture and praying. Man, that's incredible. i do well to get up at 5, 5.15, 5.30. In order to have some time before I get my kids up. But for two hours would spend time in scripture and prayer. And many of us would look at, at him and say, Man, that is it's commendable. Like I, I wish I had that kind of desire to be in God's Word. I wish that I had that kind of desire to to spend time in prayer. And and yet I want to tell you that there was Nothing of that reflected in his relationship with his wife. You wouldn't know that this was a man who spent two hours every day in Scripture and prayer in the way that he regarded his wife. So whatever that thing may be for you, what is that finish line? What is that thing that you've elevated that you feel like this is it, this is is why, this is the why, this is the how I am a Christ follower? Is it truly the goal, or is it the proper goal? Is it truly the finish line? Paul will go on to say, Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. Any wisdom that we have right now is only a sliver of the wisdom that we will have when Jesus returns. Any ounce of prophecy, any ability to point to something that's happening in the world or point to to someone's life or to talk with someone and and to be able to say, hey, I, I think this is what I see. I think this is the way that God is at work and moving in your situation or in your life right now. It's only a glimpse of what is coming. Any ability to speak in the tongue of angels is only a sliver of what it will be like when we join our voices together in worship of the one true king. All those things will pass away for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. Those things will not be necessary anymore. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. I wonder how many of us And you've heard me say this before. If you are a person who has been following Christ for 10 years or for 20 years, are you a 20-year-old Christ follower or are you a 1-year-old Christ follower 20 times over? There is this sense that we get in in Scripture, particularly when when we read the New... And we see it in the Old Testament, too, but particularly the way it's laid out in the New Testament. This idea that we are moving on towards something. And John Wesley, the founder of Methodism... That was one of the ways that he talked about sanctifying grace, that we are going on to perfection. Now, he, he didn't believe that, like, he's not saying, like, you, there's one perfect person that walked to the face of the earth. His name is Jesus, and that's none of us are him. But as we look at 2 Corinthians, what we, what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, he says, Where the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. Right, and I talked about this earlier. Freedom from whatever the world has convinced you of yourself is not true. One of the things the Spirit does is to release us from that bondage. But then he also says that we who have unveiled faces are going on. We are becoming, we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So Wesley understood that we are becoming like Christ in the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. We are going on to perfection. We are being perfected in the way that we love God and perfected in the way that we love others. Are you a 20 year old Christ follower, or are you a one year old Christ follower 20 times over? And it was one of Paul's greatest contentions with the church in Corinth. He's like, I, I mean, I wish I could talk to you like an adult, but you're a bunch of children. Now, we know what Jesus says about children, right? If anyone wants to enter the kingdom of heaven, they must become like a what? A child. But not in the sense that, that Paul is talking about here, not in the sense that a child is childish. But you think about one of the things that sets children apart from adults the way that they see the world. They're curious. Right? The world is full of wonder, their imagination, their ability to look at someone and to love that person just because they're a person. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter how different they are. There's a humility that's inherent in being a child. And that, that's what Jesus is lifting up there. Be curious, be humble, believe that there's more. Paul is not saying that they shouldn't do that, but he's saying you're, you're still thinking like a baby Christian. You're still thinking like a baby Christ follower. You're playing with your toys or these gifts like they're toys, and it's created infighting in the church. And that doesn't look much like the body of Christ. That's why in chapter 12, Paul uses the body as the example of what the church should look like. Hey, those things that you think are least important, your big toe, guess what? In the kingdom, that's pretty important. They've allowed the way that they view themselves to create division in the church. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. And one of the things that Corinth was known for was the metal that they used to, to create mirrors that would then be sold to people with wealth. So they hear this and they're like, oh, yeah, mirrors, That's we know that. But It's like anything that you see in a mirror is only... It. It's only a glimpse, it's only a reflection. It's not the full picture. There will come a time, he says, when we shall see face to face. There will come a time when everything that we seek to understand about who Jesus is will be made complete. There will come a time when everything that you seek to understand about who you are to Jesus, or who you are as one attempting to follow Jesus, that will become clear. And what Paul is encouraging the church in is don't stop short. Continue to pursue that. And here's the foundation. Here's what he invites the church to continue in. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Before I wrap up and get to this last verse, I want to consider that for just a minute. You are fully known. By the God of the universe. Imagine a conversation in heaven where an angel comes to God and says, "Hey, do you know, uh, do you know Sarah?" He's like, "Yeah. I know Sarah, I know everything about her. I know all of her dreams and all of her fears. I know the things that she doesn't tell anybody else. I know her and I love her. She's mine." about Trey. Do you know Trey? Yeah, yeah, I know Trey. I love him. He's mine. I know everything about him. You are fully known by the God of the universe. Now, either that's a very comforting thought or that's a little scary. We should add to that you are fully known and you are fully loved by the God of the universe the God who knows everything about you and loves you anyway. That's the truth about who you are to God. This is what Paul wants to lift up to the church in Corinth. And then he will go on to say, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. These three remain. All of the things that you pursue, all that you think is important, at some point, those things will cease to be important. The characteristics, and Paul uses this triad of words multiple times in his letters, but faith, hope, and love, those are meant to be the characteristics of a follower of Christ. The faith that there's nothing that we can do that places us outside of the reach of God's grace in Christ Jesus. The faith that Christ died for my sins on the cross that I have the ability to go to God and to say, I'm sorry, and God says, I forgive you not okay. It's okay. It's not okay that we do things that break covenant with God. It's not okay that we do things that, that, that make us look like we are not a reflection of God. God would never say that it's okay, but instead, because of what Christ did on the cross, God says, I forgive you for that, that we have the faith in that. We have the faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and because of that, we have hope. We have hope that this is not all there is. We have hope that the God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, as Paul writes in Philippians. We have hope that Jesus is returning to make all things new, that there will be a day when he will wipe away every tear, when there will be no more sickness or sadness or darkness or death. There will only be life in Christ. That is our hope. It's not just some, some whimsical like, yeah, I feel pretty good about today. It's no, I feel so good about today because of what I know about the future. But then he says, there's also love and that's the greatest thing because at some point we won't have to hope in Christ anymore. We won't have to have faith in Christ anymore because his reality will be our reality. So the greatest is love because love will not end. Love does not end with the coming of Jesus, love is perfected in his arrival. In you, in me, in the church, and in this world. The greatest thing that we could pursue as a people of God is love. Is to seek to love him more, to recognize those things in our lives that keep us from loving him, that keep us from experiencing his love to allow God to deal with those things like like Paul is seeking to do in the church in Corinth. To grow and to pursue the heart of God, to seek to love him more today than we did yesterday. And in doing that, to invite him to love us more fully. We place so much emphasis on that moment that you experienced the love of God for the first time and, and that looks different, it feels different for different people. And, and, and so much to the point that, that we feel like, oh, if I'm in worship or if I go on a retreat or if I spend a quiet time and I don't feel that again, does it mean that God still loves me? The love that Paul is talking about here is not an emotion. It's not something that we feel. It's a reality of, of the way that God treats us in light of the way we deserve to be treated. He doesn't extend his judgment. Jesus took that upon himself. He instead extends grace. And an invitation to come and be a part of life with. The greatest thing that we can pursue as a church is to love God more deeply, to open ourselves up to that love, which is like drinking from a waterfall, and then in turn to seek to love the world around us in a way that is reflective of that. Because I can tell you that there is a world that is desperate for that. Not more prophecy not more tongues, not more knowledge. The world is saturated with knowledge right now. It might not be knowledge of the right thing, but it's saturated with knowledge. Everybody's an expert. What the world needs instead is to encounter the love of God in a new and fresh way. And guess who the champion of that is called to be? The church. The church, you and me. May we be a people who seek to grow yes we welcome the gifts yes we are thankful for them but the thing that we are in desperate pursuit of is the heart of God that it might change our hearts and move us in love to the world around us